May all that you stand for and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country. It is a free country. G'day and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello. Radical gender theory claims that gender is not merely a grammatical device reflecting biological sex, but that sex and gender are different things. They believe the traditional understanding of what a man is and what a woman is is nothing more than a social construct. According to the gender conspiracy theorists, right thinking about gender is a nefarious plot by powerful and privileged Westerners to oppress and persecute people who experience gender dysphoria, something which was extremely rare until this century. The extremely powerful LGBTIQPAX plus lobby group that has the political and media elites in such fear of blaspheming their woke religion that grown-ups are afraid to state what is obvious scientific reality even to kindergartners. Let's watch this clip. A penis, girls have a vagina. <laughs> that didn't come through um, at all. Um, Chris, can you um, uh, see if you can just make the output? Uh, Ellie, Ellie, did you hear that clip at all? You did hear that? Okay, uh, good. Um, just in comments, if you can tell us if you heard that clip, that'd be uh, really helpful. I love that movie. Your audio and video are quite a bit out of sync. Not sure if you can fix it on the fly. Uh, Krubitarian, yeah, sorry about that. I don't think um, we can fix that on the fly, but we will we'll try to uh, to fix that. Heard and saw the clip live, fine. Very good. Thank you, Krubitarian. Um, then don't worry about it, Chris. We'll try and fix the rest of those audio sync issues later. Here is an educated professional woman aspiring to the highest office possible in the American legal system as a Supreme Court justice. Now, that's a life appointment. Now, she's either not as well educated as that kindergartner or she's petrified of offending the high priests of American culture. Provide a definition for the word woman. Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. That woman, Katanji Brown-Jackson, 
is now a member of the Supreme Court of the United States until she dies or chooses to resign. At least I'm guessing she's a woman. How would I know? Because I'm not a biologist either. But closer to home, Senator Alex Antic also asked that question of Australia's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Brendan Murphy. Doctor, a medical doctor. Surely a celebrity physician can define what a woman is. Here's what the experts we trusted to be smarter than every Australian who thought lockdowns and mask and vaccine mandates were the worst policy failure ever had to say about this once very easy question. Righto. Well, I'm going to finish up then, because this hasn't been very helpful, with a very simple question for the department, and that is one which has troubled me for a great deal of time with the bureaucracy here. Can someone please provide me with a definition of what a woman is? <coughs> department of Health. Definition of a man. Definition of a woman. Anyone? It's pretty basic. Basic stuff. Professor Murphy. <laughs> there, look, I think there are... There are a variety of definitions, and I, I think a simple perhaps, one. perhaps to give a, a more fulsome answer, we should take that on notice. You're going to take on notice yeah. the question of what a woman is. No, well, there, there are a variety. It, it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's a very contested space at the moment. Senator, it's not I just mean, a woman born a woman. But there are definitions in terms of how people identify themselves. So we're happy to provide. Our working that definition is on one of the, I'm, I've only been here two years. That's the best thing I've seen thus far. Thank you so much. A contested space, a variety of definitions. This man of science says, well, it just goes to show you that uh, science is more interested in political science than medical science. Uh, they're not the experts we should be trusting with questions of medical science. But why is it that these allegedly educated, brave national leaders squirm like cheap fish bait when asked to state the obvious? It's because the culture war has weaponized truth and science to divide us for the purpose of promoting their own power, and it's obviously working. The black woman and the white man are both afraid of being labelled as Western imperialists, perpetuating the power structures which oppress and hurt feelings which allegedly is the same as violence. But is the equivalence of biological sex and gender a Western social construct, or is gender theory the actual fabrication unique to pampered brats in the West with so much power and privilege shared equally throughout their society that they need to imagine injustices to help them divide our nation? Matt Walsh from The Daily Wire has just released a new movie called What is a Woman? and the gender conspiracy theorists were so alarmed by the possibility too many people might see through their ridiculous and reckless charade that they made a concerted effort to crash the Daily Wire servers as the movie premiered. Unlike every single critic of the movie, I have watched it in full, and it is both hilarious for Walsh's ability to troll the intellectually bankrupt leftists pushing this demonic deception, and frightening in its documentation of just how ruthless its adherents and practitioners are. Here's a short clip from the documentary, which you can watch at whatisawoman.com. What if a man decides that his, his gender identity is, is woman? A woman has its own duty 
and a man has its own duty, and a lady cannot do the duty of a man, and a man cannot do a duty of a woman. Can a man become a woman? No. No? No. What about a transgender? Transgender? No. No. It looks like to, if you want to become a lady but your man, you have something wrong in something your mind, wrong. something wrong in your family, something wrong in you. What about if someone was non binary? Come again? Non binary? Uh -huh. You know, like non. Like uh, someone is. is uh, you're not a woman, you're not a man. Yeah, someone's like. Someone is, is neither, there's something else. Is that. He's saying we have never seen things like those. For a man, he has a penis. For a woman, he has a vagina. So we know this is a lady. This is a man. What if it's a woman with a? What if it's a woman with a penis? What? And <laughs> People are laughing. Is that, is that a dumb question? <laughs> okay. Well, that was uh, whatisawoman.com, a little two-minute clip uh, courtesy of The Daily Wire and Matt Walsh. Um, and speaking of fantastic Christian Matthews with their finger on the pulse of culture, um, we're joined in the studio by Matthew Littlefield. Welcome. How are you today? Good. How are you, Dave? Fantastic. And uh, also joining us remotely is Alexandra Marshall. Ellie, thanks again for joining Pelo Talk. Thank you for having me. Always. Now, uh, Ellie, let's start with you. Um, it, it seems pretty clear to me that uh, the, uh, the invasion, the infusion, the saturation of uh, African continent remote rural region without electricity, telephone, um, and quite often even running water is so perverse um, that Western social constructs such as gender mm -hmm. um, have infiltrated um, these thatched huts. It, it, as, it, as the late, great Christopher Hitchens said, the law is inviting us to lie. And that's what has happened in Western civilization. We've got people who wish to be something they're not because of whatever social reason. Some of them do it because they want more followers on Instagram. Other people have genuine psychological issues. And in order to make the rest of society affirm their position and to agree with them because they won't do it normally, they've used the law and social pressure to invite the rest of the citizenry to lie about biological truths that they know. Every single one of those people in those clips that you saw who was asked to define a woman knows exactly what a woman is. And most of them were men who were asked, and they know that they are men. They know the difference between men and women, but they refuse to say it, including medical doctors, because they don't want social backlash. And in this era, we say, trust the science. How can you trust a medical doctor who won't tell you what a woman is because he's afraid of an activist mob? This is where Western civilization has become. Absolutely. Mm. Matt, uh, Terry Malakote says, African tribesmen have more smarts than the White House. Good for them, bad for the US. 
bad for all of us. I mean, it's awesome. I think it, maybe the future is Africa's. If you can't get basic truths right, everything else falls apart. Everything else falls apart. As Aristotle said something, I'll, I'll paraphrase it because I can't remember the exact quote, but he said, uh, the fact uh, that people inherently believe lies is evidence of also the opposite, that they will reject many basic truths. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Uh, people, are, people are very easily deceived, and especially when there's no absolute authority with which they can rely on. And I yeah. think that is ultimately what the problem is. They clearly have an absolute authority which they're referring to, whereas we have rejected all of that in the West. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think a single one of those people has been deceived. I'm pretty sure that if it was a life or death situation, every single one of these woke kids could tell you what a man and a woman is. This is more like willing deceit where we're all playing along with a fairy tale in order to feel better or to look good or to avoid getting in trouble. It's more like a, it's just basically a lie that everyone is repeating because they're too afraid of activists. I don't think they're actually deceived. The emperor is naked and no one is willing. I think that's a big part of it. I think you are absolutely correct. There is a big part of this where it's literally just about social credit. We already live in a social credit system. I mean, it might not be an official one brought down by the Chinese government, yeah. but officially now, or not unofficially now, if you say the wrong thing, you'll be cancelled. And I mean, you could kind of see the, 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 uh, it just looked to me like he was, those people were afraid to speak the truth. Like, what do I say now? Well, what you say is what a woman is, an adult human female. I mean, yep. is it that hard? Yep. I mean, it's just. Hi, I'm, I'm a woman. You guys are blokes. It's not very difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, throughout the rest of that movie, there were lots of clips from different uh, people that Matt Walsh interviewed. He took about a year to make it, and um, it was a 90-minute movie. And uh, some of it was definitely trolling, but a lot of it was documenting. And um, after some of the trolling interviews that he did with uh, professors of gender studies and, and other such experts in nonsense, um, he also did some interviews on the street with mm. people. And, and this is the frightening thing we're seeing, Ellie, that what you said and observed is exactly the, the dominant case and, and how this all started. Um, but there are now a generation of people who are genuinely subscribing to, to these theories. And, and I actually believe they're quite sincere mm. um, and, and not cynical. Um, they know what they, th what they know what we think the right answer is and they reject that. And they actually, I heard the Greens candidate in my local electorate um, just spout this nonsense like an expert. Now, I promise you, he was a useful idiot. He was not one of the architects, designers, or, or, or thinking about an end power objective in it. I actually believe he truly subscribed to the conspiracy theory that uh, gender is a Western social construct, and he believes himself to be truly compassionate uh, and that's the frightening thing, the amount of harm these people do with, with their alleged compassion because they're just useful idiots subscribing to an agenda they know nothing of. I don't believe it for a minute. I believe that he thinks he's going to get a lot of points being a green, diligently repeating this stuff. I believe he wants it to be true, but I guarantee you it's not like climate change where people really do think the apocalypse is going to come in 10 years. Although... Even when push comes to shove, they're still getting in their SUVs and they're still out there going on holidays to Europe. These people don't think the world is going to end in 10 years. Uh, it's similar to gender theory where they, 
they say these things. They say gender can be non-binary, that people can become women and men can, uh, and that women can become men. They don't really believe it. They know it's not true. They know biology is a real thing, they, especially because most of these people spent the last 30 years of their life understanding how men and women work. There are some uh, constructions of this Marxist theory and revisionist uh, idea of society that are being propagated because they're profitable, both politically and financially uh, and socially. But I guarantee you no one really believes it. If you put these people on a rack and you gave them uh, a real ultimatum, they would fall straight back on the side of biological men and biological women. You can't, no matter what you, like, you can easily test their theories by asking them some simple questions. If a man yeah. has an accident and loses a penis, does he become a woman? No, of course not. And they would not argue that. If a man has a an issue where he has low testosterone, would you call that man a woman? No. If both those things happen to him at the same time, would he be a woman? No. The only time he becomes a woman is if he says that he is a woman. And you know very clearly that that is not a biological um, reality that has happened to him. It is a social construct. So they know it. They can't follow their own arguments through. And that is why they've used the law to coerce the population into affirming something that isn't true. Yeah. Mm. Now, Ellie, back in the day, I think it was uh, the last century, or certainly a long time ago, there was a push uh, by Republicans to basically say, we've had enough with our constitution and we think there's a much better model. Well, they were, they were never able to detail exactly what that model was, only that uh, blah, 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 we don't like the Queen, blah, blah, blah. We went to a referendum and uh, the Australian nation thoroughly rejected the idea of uh, ditching the monarchy. But there's a new move uh, to push for a monarchy-less uh, constitution, model republic of some sort in Australia. Tell us a bit about that move, please. Well, we all know that Labor's always been full of a lot of sour old commie bastards and Albanese's no different. But what is like we've just watched the Queen celebrate 70 years of stable monarchy and a peaceful reign. And we've got a whole generation of politicians who can't make it three years with good behaviour, let alone good governance. And yeah. what we're seeing now is we, we've always known Labor wants to get rid of the monarchy because they want to be, they want to crown themselves king. They want absolute power. But what's concerning me is their endless rhetoric and anti-monarchy rhetoric has sunk through to the Conservatives who now don't remember and have never been taught why we have a constitutional monarchy in the first place. And we have to mm. recall that a monarchy and a constitutional monarchy are two different things, and the left conflate them every single time. So mm -hmm. a constitutional monarchy does not rule over Australia. We do have an elected Australian head of state, and that is the Governor-General, who performs the Queen's duties here. But first and foremost, a constitutional monarchy is a a political framework and a legal framework to protect the nation from dictatorships. That's why it exists. It was formed after uh, England learned the hard way that politicians make worse kings than actual kings. And so they devised this system to divide power so that parliament cannot get out of control and cannot betray the system, political system they've been put in charge of. And so what you do is you have the monarchy sitting atop the parliament and the only power the monarchy has is to dissolve parliament and send the politicians back to an election, back to the people. So what the monarchy in a constitutional monarchy really is, is a safety net and a protection against dictators. Now, we've already seen that our politicians through the COVID years, the one thing they want is more power 
what they really want is absolute power. And they can't do that while ever we have this political safety net sitting over Australia. So they want to tear it down so that they can have prime ministers and presidents policing each other with no safety for the Australian people when they get out of hand. And they are dragging us toward these socialist, collectivist-style dictatorships. So they have to get rid of the monarchy in order to basically rule supreme over us. And I mean rule, not govern. I think uh, uh, Richardson uh, said that he belled the cat on the sky in his interview when he said Albanese will have the ability to rule. That's what he really meant. So I implore conservatives to remember why Australia has had the longest and most stable democracy anywhere in the world apart from England. And it's because of our constitutional monarchy and the way we have this protection against uh, politicians who think they can rule over us and ignore our legal frameworks that are there to protect us. Mm, yes. Mm. Um, Matt, what's the reasons why Australians should run for the hills when uh, Elbow says uh, Republic? Where do I start? I mean, first, preach it, Alexander. That, everything you said was absolutely correct. <laughs> everything you said was absolutely spot on. And I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I, I'm actually a believer in monarchy myself. But aside from monarchy, constitutional monarchy is a brilliant system. And you, you made the point. She made the point that it's the most stable system in the world. And this is an objective fact. This is one of the reasons why they should be terrified about the idea of Albanese's designs or whoever set it for the republic. Because almost, it, it, I could. I could be getting the exact details wrong, but I think pretty much every single republic in the world has fallen into tyranny, except at some point, except one, and that's the American Republic. And if you look at the American Republic, it doesn't look very far away from that. It looks a bit tyrannical right now. Yeah, Can I, think, I make yeah. a point that I forgot to make, I, and I should have said it based on your point? The biggest question for all of civilization in history is how to divide power, because you require absolute power to govern but absolute power becomes a dictatorship. And so what the constitutional monarchy is, is a way of dividing power in which you have the guardian of the democracy has no motivation at all to interfere with politics unless it is in the interest of the people. Whereas a prime minister who's policing a president or the other way around, they are people who can be easily corrupted, who are always mm -hmm. partisan. And that is why you have republics collapsing into tyrannies. Now, the US will get there. The, the only thing that's upheld the US is not its republican system, although they do have a constitution that we will never be given by uh, an Albanese government. Yeah. It yeah. is their belief in liberty and their, their maintenance of liberty. Now, that has been degraded over the last 20 years, and we no longer have an America that wants to preserve liberty, and as such, their republic will start to crumble. Sorry about that. I just thought I'd add that. No, you're absolutely correct. America will remain a strong republic as long as the people want it to, and the people want it to less and less. As you pointed out, they're degrading. Uh, their society is degrading, and, and we're following some of those similar trends. But, I mean, uh, what you referred to there is the, the idea of the separation of power system. And America is a separation of power system as well, and both of our systems are influenced by guys like John Locke and Thomas Hobbes and those early Enlightenment philosophers who really really worked out, well, what exactly do you need each branch of the government to do so that one branch cannot control and take over the entire government? And that's what our system was set up. And our system does it better than the US. And one of the reasons it does it better is because it has a hereditary monarchy. And it's a lot harder for political um, political uh, interest groups, you could put it, to uh, to take control of, of, of a constitution, of, sorry, of a hereditary monarchy, because it's passed down through the family line. Whereas in the American context, you can just 
basically use your funds to get voted in whoever you want and take control of the executive and have that constitutional power. And that's one of the reasons why we see such vitriolic attacks for who's going to get into the presidency in the United States. So their system has a lot of the same checks and balances that ours does without that stable influence of the hereditary monarchy, which I think is actually incredibly important to keep. And as conservatives and as, 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 as nationalists, as Christians, whoever you are out there, whoever you are that's a thinking person, the last thing you want is a modern uh, leftist government to, to come up with a new form of republic. Mm. I mean, do you really trust them to, I think you mentioned it, Alexandra, we're not going to get the kind of constitution that America has. We're not going to get that. Yep. I mean, what are we going to do? You're totally right with the idea of a hereditary monetary, uh, monarchy because not only uh, is it harder to corrupt, I mean, they can be swayed by political ideas, but when a, a, a monarch like the Queen would be faced with intervening in an out-of-control parliament, she has to consider that if she gets it wrong and the people don't agree, well, then she will lose not just her reign, but all of her children's reign and their family. So it's a family decision for her to risk the entire reign in order to interfere in politics. Now, that is a huge protection against political whims. So she would do it in the interest of protecting the people if the people were with her, but not to satisfy the whims of a, polit a political party, which is what is absolutely crucial in protecting democracy. And that's why it works when you're quite right, America doesn't do that. But one thing I haven't seen mentioned very often, I wrote an article about it in The Spectator yesterday, uh, and that is that the monarchy, you always hear that dictatorships are successful because they have one vision and one person who can get stuff done. Now, often they get things done that are quite terrible, but they do have this longevity that our cyclic politics doesn't have because we tear apart our politics every three years. But the queen who um, counsels our our politicians and our prime ministers. She has sat opposite Churchill, Thatcher, um, Reagan in the US. She sat opposite our prime ministers for the last 70 years. She mm. gives to them some kind of permanence and an austerity to the office that reminds our prime ministers that, you know, the election might be a game, but ruling is not. And governing in particular is a sacred oath and a protection for the people. And I, and I think that's crucial in our political system that they have that that tier above them that just reminds them of, you know, you have a role to play and your role is not to to rule over people like some kind of lord. You are there to protect and serve them. And that's what she brings us. Yeah. yeah. Dan Hillier says, uh, with all of the unrest in various Commonwealth countries throughout the later 20th century, can you mention a few situations where the Queen got involved? His point being the Queen doesn't get involved. There's absolutely yeah. no risk whatsoever of the Crown getting involved in Australian politics. Now, I heard uh, one of my great respected friends uh, and academics um, recently read, not heard, uh, him in questioning basically the, the, I mean, he's essentially saying no system we change to will be better. The risks are terrible. We absolutely have to stay as we are. But I wish there wasn't a foreigner in charge. And that just simply isn't the case, that there is a foreigner in charge. Our constitution, he, he mentioned that, um, he, he thought the constitution, uh, the, the governor general having executive power as opposed to the queen, a foreigner, was more of a convention uh, than constitutional. Well, let me read the constitution for you. Section 61 says, and I'm reading verbatim from the constitution, the executive power of the Commonwealth is vested in the queen and is exercisable by the governor general as the queen's representative. The location of the power is in the Crown. 
but the exercise of the power is in the Australian, appointed by an elected Australian. No foreigner has exercisable executive power in Australia. And the Governor-General, Derek, jump in, Ali. Because I've got to go. So I just want to say, uh, David Flint will tell you all about how the Governor-General is officially Australia's head of state and is an Australian. And yes, uh, we have had an instance in which a Governor-General has intervened uh, when famously Whitlam tried to govern without supply and he should have called an election but didn't, so it was done for him. And that was the right decision as the election proved Correct. later on. And it and wasn't a foreign party interference, it was an Australian interfering. Yeah, no, but I'm. But the, so the Queen could, in theory, if a Governor General does not do their duty, and, and well, I'll explain that in just a second, could intervene if, if required. So what we're seeing right now in the states with our governors and in the current Governor General is a situation where our Governor Generals and governors are not taking their job seriously. We are electing politicians yes. to the role, and they're not supposed to be. So we've had Kim yeah. Beasley over in Western Australia overseeing McGowan. That's a that's a Labor politician guarding a Labor politician. And look what has been happening over there. Now, if yeah. the Western Australian people had decided they were sick of it, which they didn't, but if they had, they do have an ability to appeal to the Crown in order to to solve that situation. And they could have appealed to the Governor General, had uh, not the Governor General, the General over uh, the Governor, if they had wished to, but they didn't. Mm. But that pathway still exists for them to do so. The reason no one has got involved yet is because the people haven't asked for the interference. And so it is up to the people to decide that their politicians are out of control. It's at that point that the system will kick in. And as everyone has tried to explain, the Crown shouldn't intervene more than once a century. The idea is to stop a dictator taking hold, and that doesn't happen all the time. It is a safety net so that when it does happen, it can be prevented. And that's why Australia's system survives as long as it has, because yep. we have already seen off one out-of-control Prime Minister, and it will be there for the next one. Now, how long do you have, Ellie, before you've got to uh, leave us today? About 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. Let's switch to Matt's topic. Matt, um, so we'll give you then first comment after after he finishes, Ellie. But, Matt, tell me uh, about the the end of the American empire, if it's, if it's coming um, or if it's good to go for another century. Yeah, so some people have been watching this, a lot of people have been watching this for a while, and, and people who follow the history can see the very clear signs of imperial decay. But I, I've got some very obvious ones here which I want to show people, so I'll, I'll show them what they've got here. Just quickly, I just want to say this. I would actually be okay if the monarch got involved a little bit more and the governors got involved a lot more um, Me myself. Too. Uh, I, I, as I said, I actually personally tend towards monarchy, but Anglo-Saxons, our heritage has always been an idea that the monarch was limited. That's part of Anglo-Saxon heritage going all the way back. So yeah, we yeah. need to make sure that always stays. Um, all right. So this is what I've what I've got to share here. So no no empire lasts forever. And when I say empire here, I'm referring to the American empire. I just want to define that for people first before I go any further. So you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the American hegemonic rule or, or dominant rule over the world. They have something like apparently 800 military bases around the world. And they can enforce their will basically on any smaller nation and many larger nations because of this dominance. So that's what I'm referring to when I say the American empire. No empire lasts forever. They all eventually either fall under the pressure of their own weight or are conquered by more vigorous powers, changing climate conditions, disease, and more. Every empire burns bright and then burns itself out. And we will see this eventually with the American empire. And we're seeing, starting to see the real clear signs of it now. 
And first, uh, for some reason, this is one example. The U.S. military, listen to this. This is actually crazy. The U.S. military is rationing meals for the seamen on one of their aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean. From the article, what is going on? The U.S. military is rationing food on at least one huge aircraft carrier. Why is this happening? Doesn't the military receive hundreds of billions of dollars each year? Where is the money going? This Memorial Week, we received information that the men and women on the U.S. aircraft carrier, the USS Harry Truman, are receiving food rations. This makes no sense. USS Harry Truman is not at war. It's not in harm's way. It's in the Mediterranean near the conflict in Ukraine, but it's not in the Black Sea. Around 5,000 personnel are on board this huge carrier. Reports are coming out that the ship is rationing food. Why is our military doing this? It makes no sense. They're only receiving two meals a day. And this story in its own right wouldn't be that wow. big of a deal, although it is a big deal, but it wouldn't be super telling in and of itself. However, the signs of decay are becoming more obvious in other areas as well. And this one is a massive one, and especially for those who know their history of the end of the Soviet Union. Um, with America not being able to guarantee its own supply of food for their own children, and you might have heard about this story, but I want to share something you might not have heard about in relation to it as well. So this article is from CNN, uh, a trusted and reliable news source. Hey, Dave. Absolutely. <laughs> in impeccable. A shipment of 35 tons of baby formula has arrived Sunday in Indianapolis on a U.S. military aircraft from Germany to address a nationwide shortage. The prescription formula will be distributed to areas around the country where there is the most acute need. A Biden administration official earlier told CNN that the official said none of the first shipment would land on store shelves in the U.S., adding that a Sunday's shipment is hypoallergenic and we fed to babies intolerant of protein in cow milk. The shipment included 132 pallets of formula, which arrived on one C-17 cargo plane. The formula originated from Zurich, Switzerland, and was trucked to Germany, where it was loaded on a C-17 and flown to the U.S. Now, some people might laud this as an incredible effort by the U.S. to look after its people, but those who know what they're looking at know that when, what nations and empires look like when they collapse, and not being able to guarantee such a simple basic necessity in their food supply is a very telling sign. It goes on to say, Agricultural Secretary Von Tom Vilsack, who greeted the arrival of delivery in Indianapolis, said Sunday's shipment, the first of Operation Fly formula, would provide enough formula for 9,000 babies and 18,000 toddlers for one week. Now, let me just point out what's happening here. America is using the military to do effectively military aid to get food to their own children. It is a large shipment of very specific and specialized formula, formula for mums and dads who have children who have allergies where the regular formula just simply will not work. The secretary said it new. So they're prioritizing those with allergies first. Now, this is interesting because the Biden administration is lauding itself as, look how successful we are. <laughs> We've got this stuff. For, like, and it took them, like, they sent something like $40 billion in aid to Ukraine in the same week that they were running out of baby formula for their own people. And this was an issue that, they, that was going back for a while now. It didn't just happen that week. But these are not the first or only signs of a collapse, but they are glaringly powerful. And they're especially powerful. This last bit is especially powerful because we in Australia ourselves, one of our baby formula companies is actually being used <laughs> to get this baby formula aid to the United States. Sure. Now, the reason why this is important, and this is what I want to point out here, with America needing to rely on a minor ally like Australia for baby power, we can see that the great U.S. is in serious trouble. Australians, take serious note of this. If America cannot assure its own supply of something like baby formula, how is it going to protect us from potential threats from nations like China? Mm. We have seen the final years of the U.S. empire. This won't be the last blazingly obvious sign 
But the Bible says something very simple, trust not in the chariots of Egypt. And this is a message we need to hear today, just as much as the Israelites did, who tried to trust on what the Bible calls a broken reed of Egypt and to protect them from Babylon. And it failed because Egypt was a declining empire in their day. And I, I believe we're seeing some of the same things today. And these are just a couple of examples. But this is really concerning because we rely on our peace in our region from American protection. One of the reasons why we don't have a big military in Australia and why we have a big welfare state is because we can afford to, because America provides a lot of security. The same is true for Europe. Europe can spend a lot of money on, on, on welfare because America provides so much security. The fact that they can't even provide food for their own children, I mean, that's a big sign. Yeah. Ellie? Uh, there, there are two things here. The first is that all empires require direction, and if they don't have a direction, they start to collapse. And so whether that is conquest, expansion, or the pursuit of enlightenment, they have to have some kind of goal to, to move toward. And the West has had no goal for a long time, particularly the US, who has forgotten what its role really is in the world. And so they've sat there and done nothing, and uh, their own politics has spiralled inwards and started to collapse itself. The second thing is with politicians in any political system, if you assign thousands of bureaucrats and politicians uh, the daily job of creating more law, what you end up with is a political system that is suffocating under bureaucracy. And bureaucracy is the great uh, evil against democracy in the world. And you get too much bureaucracy and a civilization will collapse. So wars normally sort out and clean out a lot of the bureaucracy that has been built up and the, the laws that shouldn't exist. Because when you get to a war situation, you have to start culling policy that is hindering your ability to survive. And that's when you have a nice big clean out. Now, the West hasn't had a, a big war for a, a generation. And so we are now watching what happens when you have too much peacetime with bad maintenance. Like this doesn't have to happen. It happens because of how we choose to allocate our uh, legislation and how our, our bureaucracy works. We need to have either a voluntary clean out um, or to, well, that would be preferable. I'd rather have that than a war, thank you. Uh, they sit down and get rid of all these laws and all these regulations that should not be there that are suffocating our nations, including the US, and allow the capitalist democracy that was so successful for centuries to breathe again and to start allowing the people to be successful themselves because we're going to need it coming out of COVID. Ellie, just quickly before we let you go, um, what do you uh, think Australia should do to secure ourselves um, in the event that America is uh, more less useless than a wet lettuce leaf in the event we're invaded? How do we <laughs> prepare for uh, self-defence and, and national security? Well, to be fair, America does bombs better than does baby formula. Uh, they are still a formidable military power, especially with uh, the groundwork that Trump laid before he left his presidency. And he did a lot of work expanding it. Australia doesn't have many choices. We are too far behind to catch up militarily. We should be trying to catch up and we should have our production lines ramped up. We need to buy off-the-shelf pro uh, products from America and from Europe wherever we can after Pine's massive disaster of submarines and waste of time. So we should be scaling up our military as much as possible, but we will always be a middling power because we do not have many people. Now that means that we have to integrate ourselves with our Western alliances and, and the uh, nations that we know and can trust. So that means the US, that means most of our European friends. That means Japan, it means backing Taiwan. 
Um, and there are a few Asian countries up there as well in the Pacific who really don't want to be taken over by a communist force in China. Now, uh, unfortunately, uh, the only thing we can really do is make sure that we draw some lines in the sand and force China into uh, a conflict earlier than it wants to, because if we wait till China is ready, then we're going to be in big trouble. Now, the one thing I will say is with these communist powers, they have the numbers. And so on paper, they look far more impressive than they do in reality. So we saw with Russia, who should have had no problem taking Ukraine, that their military was not as skilled, as well armed, as well provisioned and as well maintenanced as they made out. And so they have mm. been decimating their own power base trying to take a tiny country like Ukraine. Now, yes, Ukraine has, has had help, but you wouldn't exactly say America and Europe has gone all out trying to save Ukraine. So Russia has sort of revealed what people suspect about China and that China also has a similar uh, ability level inside its troops and inside its technology. Now, China was really relying on Russia to be their second flank. So with a disempowered Russia, it, it sort of changed the game a little bit for uh, Xi Jinping, especially as we're seeing Xi Jinping's internal politics become very difficult for him. He has a rebellion on his hands. He has to expand or he's going to start seeing uh, the China machine collapse a little bit because it's not getting the Western money that it used to. And that is causing serious problems for the middle class in China who aren't very happy. And the Shanghai incident was with Xi Jinping's rivals, and most Westerners don't understand that's a big deal for Xi Jinping and that he's got some serious rivals in Shanghai who are now looking at replacing him as president, which is a, is a massive deal that we have to factor into any global conflict. The reason that Xi Jinping stayed his hand on Taiwan before is because he wasn't sure that China could survive the sort of uh, um, conditions that the West put on Russia because Russia's smaller. They don't have as many people to feed. If the West did that to China, it'd be far more cataclysmic as far as Egypt's reign. So it's not just about how many guns you have, about how many ships. It's about the delicate political systems that are upholding mm -hmm. these communist empires, and they're more fragile than they would like you to believe. Interesting. Ellie, thank you so much for your uh, time today. We will let you go. Just before you go, you can find Alexandra Marshall on the socials uh, at Ellie Melly. Um, so make sure you go along there, see what she's saying about all the various topics every day and uh, see if you can shout her a coffee through some of those donation links there as well. At Ellie Melly. Thanks, Alexandra. Bye. Thank you. Bye, guys. Now, Matt, um, your thoughts on, on, I guess you want to, uh, you got a, a couple of things sparked in your mind while Ellie was talking there. I hope Ellie watches this a little bit later because I would like to push back on a little bit of that. Uh, China has the two most important things that it needs to defeat the West handedly. And that is a, a unified nation a people who are unified. Mm. They really are unified, but more, it will not more importantly, but just as importantly, they are the most powerful manufacturing base in the world. Now, a lot of people don't know this, uh, but uh, Germany never had a chance in world war two uh, because it didn't have the manufacturing base to defeat uh, the nations around it, let alone, bringing in Russia and America. A lot of people, uh, you know, they were the bad guys and they did terrible things. We all understand that. But Britain handedly stopped Germany's expanse with the Battle of Britain. I mean, they were able to produce more planes and they successfully contained uh, the, the Nazi war effort. Now, you add to that the manufacturing base of Russia 
And then you add to that the fact that America supplied Russia with, for free, more military equipment than the entire German military made. Germany never had a chance. Not because they didn't have high quality troops or high quality tanks or anything. They just couldn't produce enough. There's such thing as how much you can produce. Mm. Now, let me just ask a simple question to everyone watching. Where's everything made? China. And what do you need to make weapons? Microchips. Microchips, but also you just need production lines. They have, not only do they have more production lines than any, most Western nations put together, they also are within a hop, skip and a jump from all the other countries that have them. So you don't want to go to war with the largest manufacturing base in the world. Now, in World War II, can you guess which country was the largest manufacturing base in the world? America. And they kicked everyone's butt because of it. Mm. They absolutely, I mean, they were far, far more dominant in manufacturing than Britain, even though Britain was the world empire, it was the final days of the British empire. And so uh, China's not just in a very strong position, it's in, an, it's in, in literally a world-beating uh, position. So I wouldn't be wanting to try and provoke the world's greatest industrial power into a war. I, I, I think that would be foolish. I would be actually seeking... Do you think to... China's COVID zero policy is uh, significantly handicapping their manufacturing capacities or will they just be able to turn it back on when they feel like it? Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, have you tried to buy certain electronics uh, recently? Have you gone on the website? A car. <laughs> a car. Uh, have you, all these things that we can't buy, which can't be produced, uh, is partly because of the supply shortages which are happening in China. So everything that affects Chinese manufacturing affects our manufacturing. So, good so point. They already have such an insanely strong advantage ahead of us. We don't want to go to... And as for Russia failing in its war effort, I mean... America was in Iraq from 2003 to what, how many years after that? I mean, the, the actual hot war went on for years and years. And we, we called it a raging success because they were fighting this war for what, well over a decade in Afghanistan, nearly 20 years, right? Mm. Uh, Russia's only been in this war for a few months. They've almost completely taken the Donbass. They have the Ukrainian military surrounded. Um, and America's poured more money into Ukraine in military aid then Russia spends on its own military in a year and they're losing. Somebody put it to me like this, and this is a brilliant way to think of it. What chance do you think Mexico would have in a war against America if China were giving aid to Mexico? Would it make much of a difference? Probably not, hey? In fact, where would the money go? <laughs> would it all go to the troops on the front lines? Probably not. So I think a lot of the West is kind of, bit, um, a lot of the Western media has built up a false uh a false understanding of what's happening in the world uh democracy is on the way down not autocracy autocracy is on the way up yes so is and that's a sad reality but it's the reality and so that's what i would just say in response to that i i i don't think we should be trying to provoke anything with china i think we should be trying to be the switzerland of the south seas but let's bring it back to the context of your comment which was that america is an empire in decline and we really can't rely on america for defense of Australia, um, Ukraine, um, you're making the point, it's not doing Ukraine much good, how much America's support is doing. Um, so then what do you think is the key to Australia uh, promising, because this is the point of federation, mm -hmm. if nothing else, if, if the states cooperating and federating uh, was good for nothing else at all, other than one thing, it would be the self-defense of the nation. Uh, what do you think Amer Australia's 
uh, core strategy for defending the nation in the coming generation needs to be? I think we should be armed to the teeth with every conceivable weapon and be as friendly to our neighbours as possible. That is the only strategy which... And A few people in comments are saying, let's develop a nuclear capacity. I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, nuclear powers are, are less likely to get invaded, but they're also more likely to get sanctioned. And here's the here's the the, the argument with this, right? Okay, we can develop nukes and we can line them up and say, "Ha ha, look at us! We're in. We're, we're we're you can't invade us now." And then, if China rises to the dominant power, they could just do to us what America's done to North Korea: just shut it off from international trade. So, another thing we need to add, another key pillar, is self-reliance. One of the great blessings of this nation is with a land of plenty. Mm. You know, I come from a land down under, the land of plenty. You know, the, the famous song, or our national anthem, which sings about it. We, we, we have every national resources mm. we need. We have an intelligent, uh, highly educated workers base. So I think we need to be armed to the teeth. We need to be friendly to our neighbors and we need to be self-reliant. Jared Rennick is big on the line from the national anthem, which says we have wealth for toil. Yeah. Uh, and he's basically saying that we've completely cut the legs out from under our ability to toil, yes. uh, our manufacturing centers, our, our self-reliance. Um, and I blame the unions largely, but certainly the political will has has been to specialize nation, Australia's uh, national economy. Uh, and rely on other specialised national economies. So we're happy to be big in uh, minerals exports um, while relying heavily on China being big in uh, manufacturing imports. Yeah, specialised economy. It's a very good... Uh, Specialising the economy is a very good way for people to get rich. Uh, I mean, Singapore's a good example, a very wealthy nation, but a very specialised nation. Mm. Uh, and so the strategy of the, I guess you could say, the global elites or the Western capitals, whatever you want to refer to them as, over the last half century has been to direct nations to become specialist in what in certain things that they provide, which enables the free flow of trades and goods and ideas and stuff, which makes you very wealthy. But the, the more complex a system gets, the more fragile it becomes. There's a reason why a 1980 diesel Land Cruiser is far more reliable than my favorite car in the world other than the Ford GT Phase 3, and that's the Ferrari 458 Italia. I love the Ferrari 458 Italia. You can look it up. It's a beautiful car. It is literally one of my favorite cars. But the complexity of that thing makes it incredibly fragile. And I, I highly doubt there will be very many left on the roads when those 1980s Land Cruisers are still hauling farm equipment. Why? Because they're simple. And our economic system is incredibly complex, and it can make you incredibly wealthy for a time, but that also makes it inherently fragile. Yeah. And that's the situation we're in. Brilliant. Well, I think that's just about all the time we have for on today's show. Um, thank you very much for everybody who's watching. As always, uh, just a shout out of thanks to the Good Source supporters, people who put their hand in their pocket for $10, $20, $50 a month. Uh, because of you, we're able to sustain this work and the growth plans we've got for this year are just incredible. For many years, it's just been me um, being sustained by the supporters, but right now we're able to start planning uh, some employees, admin and production assistants, and uh, that is going to enable us to add more shows and do more projects, specialised things like a, a university course for Australia, not unlike PragerU, but Australian, not animated, but with a bunch of experts presenting short videos, teaching adults and teenagers what the schools have long forsaken, the common sense, the facts, 
the uh, celebrated virtues of Western civilization, Christianity, economics, maths, the, the basic things without all the progressive woke agendas in that. Developing a curriculum like that is going to require hundreds mm. of videos and years to accomplish. We will never stop, but we'll be building a library that you're going to be able to use in homeschooling and youth groups uh, in your own education. Come election time, this has been a non-stop constant project. We need to make humour uh, skits like Monty Python, such great cultural commentary. Uh, is going to require more and more investment. So don't quit. If you can give a bit more, give a bit more. If you're affected by uh, COVID mandates and can't give anything at all, please just share the content. We appreciate your support that way, which doesn't cost you a cent, but uh, help spread the word and get more people supporting uh, the authors. We want to start paying our contributors uh, as much as we can for uh, their thoughts and finding ways to subsidise uh, right thinking in Australia to make it as... Um, as viable a career choice as being a leftist, progressive, uh, divisive activist is in, in the West. Uh, that's something we need to fix the balance on. Um, and of course, we have got a plan for um, seminars and forums um, traveling the nation, uh, as well as the regular church and state summits. We've got one coming up in plan right now, at least in one city, if not multiple cities, educating people on the World Economic Forum, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Klaus Schwab, the WEF, and all all those nefarious agendas that are trying to undo everything that we've achieved and uh, grab power for a select ruling class that is by no means qualified or capable of doing the right thing for the vast majority of people. Um, these are all possible because of the supporters of, of people like you. But at the very least, would you please subscribe to our newsletter at goodsource.news. And uh, if you can click on the support button and become part of that family, that would be super appreciated and a great investment in the future of this nation. This has been another episode of Pillow Talk uh, with my guests, Matthew Littlefield. Thank you, Matt. Mm -hmm. And Alexandra Marshall, who's uh, had to duck off a little bit earlier. Um, but thank you for watching and sharing this video. Good night. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics, so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.